Hello, everyone. Welcome to the On Mindset podcast. My name is Jean Paul Pangalos. I'm your host. And today we're going to talk to Jill Kirsten. She is a certified coach with a wealth of knowledge and experience in counseling, career management, executive coaching, leadership development. And everybody, please join me in welcoming Jill Kirsten to the show. Hi, Jill. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Thank you so much. Very good. Very good. I was looking at your website and based on the previous conversations that we had, um, something that you have on your website, which is your tenant, caught my eye. And I'm just going to read it out loud uh, because I think it's very valuable. And let's talk about that if you want to. Okay. The tenant says, "Always, I always encourage clients to live outside their comfort zone, embrace imperfect action, and accept failure as a growth opportunity. Tell us a bit about that, how you came with that tenant, and why is it so important to you? Yes. Good eye you had. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, and it's really interesting because I think that tenant and that line um, captures lots of people. Um, and in some ways, I wish I'd known it earlier for myself, but I think that we we want to grow and push ourselves and by its very nature that's going to be uncomfortable and we may fail along the way right so within so that's kind of one piece of it meaning like within that we are just talking to a client about this we know we're going to do something that is going to challenge us and make us uncomfortably. We cognitively know it, but you still have to go through it, right? You still have to experience it. So along the way, if you can be like the growth comes in being uncomfortable and that that is part of it. Um, and we remember that that sort of releases one, so to speak right, in growth and change, if we have the mindset, if you will, that I'm going to feel uncomfortable, and I, there's no way but through it, right, um, that that might make make the growth, uh, yeah, just have us do it. The take imperfect action, honestly, is something that I learned from someone named Bill Barron. And he um, isn't running the business anymore, but it was it's a business building or was a business building program called The Big Shift. And he is um, or was an excellent coach himself. And this idea of taking imperfect action um, came up in, you know, building your business as well, right? So that you're not spinning the wheels to prepare and doing nothing. And I think that mind shift, the mind shift has been huge for me. Like, just do the thing. And it may or may not be perfect, but you've done the thing, right? And you, you mentioned growth in, 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 your, in your answer. Does everybody want to grow? Is that your experience? Eventually, everybody ends up growing? Or do you feel that people are stuck in, in, in seeking comfort? Oh, that's such an interesting question. 
I don't know if everyone wants to grow. That's my honest answer because the people that I interact with as a leadership or and or career coach, honestly, even in like, I also serve as a um, mental health coach as well. Um, they want to grow. Like there's a lot of... Um, high potentials, high achievers, like that's a lot of the pool that I work with in leadership development. And if someone's come to you as a career coach, they'd come because they want something more. And so I don't know if that's the population that is attracted or if that is everyone, but I would say most people, right? And and you might already know this, like the the um, reward comes in the seeking. And our brains, once we achieve the thing, the reward is very short-lived. And seeing that piece of research recently made me both like happy and a bit sad, right? Because it's like you seek, you seek, you seek. And then when you get it, literally, you know, from a neurochemical standpoint, the reward we get is super short, really the rewards in the journey, right? So I think of growth as a journey. And I think most people, you know, want that journey. Interesting, interesting. And let, let's say that somebody wants to grow, they want to take action, but they're scared of failure. Based on based on your experience, how can individuals reframe their perception of failure and turn that into a growth opportunity? Yes. Yeah, so I have sort of a practical answer. Um, and this this happened recently and it doesn't work with everyone. But one of the things is asking yourself, um, what is the worst thing that can happen? And why and do you say it doesn't work with everybody? Have you had a well, some people go catastrophize, right? In a, <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a clinical term, they go, well, the worst thing that, you know, but usually they'll get there, right? So I had someone that literally his um, new job, so related to what we're talking about, um, literally making him sick, like um, panic attacks, never, you know, um, had severe anxiety before. He consciously decided to move from like academia to industry and move um, research areas. And so he's the perfect example of um, intellectually, right? The head knows what, what he's doing, but going through it, he's not remembering all those things. And with him, I said, what's the worst thing that could happen? And that freed him so much because he's lucky. He's, the worst thing that could happen is he loses his job. He's fine. That's he still has everything else in his life and he's financially in a position that, you know, he would be okay till he found another job. So okay. that's what I mean. It doesn't work for everybody because we're not all as whatever we want to say in a position where you got to eat. Right. So dealing with jobs and careers, if the worst thing that could happen is you lose your job and your whole family is relying on you, that could be pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, and and talking about that in the other extreme, you know, we you got fear, fear of failure, and a lot yep. of people 
don't want to take action. But what, what happens when you actually have a setback, when something real sets you back and it's a real hit, you lose your job, business goes down, something happens in your life. What are your strategies or what would you recommend to help people bounce back and develop their mindset? What, what, what would you suggest in those cases? Yeah, um, I don't know if I'm saying the absolute dictionary definition of resilience, but you know, in my mind, resilience is you're going to hit the bumps in the road and how quickly do you get up from them? And then um, I've, uh, I've been recently went through um, training with Shirzad Shermain, um, who uses mental fitness and positive intelligence. And coming from what he calls a sage perspective or coming from your genius self or your best self, um, what will be the gift from this? That's a very interesting question. You know what? You know, uh, would would everybody be willing to 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 actually ask themselves that question in the moment of you know critical times? No, <laughs> no, and and in the moment of critical times might not be the time that you ask yourself. Do you see what I'm saying? But it's like along the road, you know. Um, of whatever let's let's take grief grief is probably the hardest thing that you never get resilient to right so i'll pick the hardest one right which be it would be i would say in grief there probably is no resilience and and there may or may not be a gift but i do have um someone that i went to grad school with and she lost her only son at, um, I think he was six when he passed away. And she has turned that into a gift. She runs a um, big um, psychoeducational foundation supporting other parents with children who have cancer. Wow. So, and you see this like mad, you know, um, mothers against drunk driving, that's what they came from. Um, you know, you do see this where people take something that was really painful and difficult for them. And over time, they can see the gift. That's, that's inspiring. That's certainly inspiring. In, in terms of if decision making, how how would you help your clients or how would you help people shape their mindset in order to optimize sound decision-making? Um, so we don't really intellectually make decisions with our mind, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So really we're making decisions in more of a, what's the right word, like uh, feeling way, I guess. Um, so that's one thing that I talk to people about, um, is to use a mindfulness practice or to use visioning or to get quiet somehow, right? Outdoors, um, just be and see what comes up for you 
and what you feel in terms of a decision. Walk, walk us through a process like that for somebody that d- doesn't really understand, okay, mindfulness and, and, and just walk outside. What, what, what's the principle behind doing that? Yeah, I think if we can um, um, you don't clear your thoughts, but if we can quiet our minds and different people do that in different ways, but in general, right? A meditation practice, yoga, bike ride, right? Um, taking a shower, right? Like we reflect in those times um, where we might be doing something that's a little bit more automatic, right? Even like for me, swimming, right? I'm not not thinking like, what's my stroke, right? I just, I'm swimming. So I'm noodling as I call it, right? And so the idea is that you're not distracting your mind, right? But you are um, quieting your mind from, you know, the shoulds and the negative thoughts that come up. So to more directly answer your question, I think having a some kind of practice, right? So the more that you practice meditation um, or get quiet, um, the more naturally you can go back to that. So for example, if you study the brain of people who um, who are regular meditators, if you look at their brain when they're not meditating, I'm gonna get the part of your brain wrong, but your monkey mind, is that your hypothalamus? But your monkey mind is quieter, even if you're not actively meditating in that moment. So over time, there's an impact. Um, And so I would say it's doing one thing. That's what mindfulness is. It's paying attention to whatever it is you're doing. And just that, right? Um, And and focusing, and you can get there in many different ways. Does that answer the question? Absolutely, absolutely. And as a follow-up, I was going to ask you, how can individuals overcome the fear of making the wrong decisions and develop a more proactive mindset? Hmm. That's an awesome question. So I'm going to start with kind of where I've gotten to that I share with people. Um, There's only this breath, right? Um, And so if you make the wrong decision, quote unquote, um, you made the best decision with the information that you had at the time and whatever you felt at the time. In the rear view mirror, it might be the wrong decision, but in the moment, right, you made the best decision that you could make. Does that make sense? Yeah, it it makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, you know, one of the one of the things I've been fascinated by is you know um, paralysis by analysis. Yeah, it's something that you know uh, is a recurring theme, and, and people wanted to take action. Also, procrastination. We'll talk about procrastination uh, a bit later, but it, it's it's something that you know uh, I always think of of coming up with practical ways and tools to actually help people uh, understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, that making mistakes is, is a part of life and it's actually an opportunity for growth, as you mentioned before. Mm-hmm. 
and you know um absolutely makes makes perfect sense yeah and i would say like with that you know you can still make a pros and cons list right but all things aren't weighted the same right so it's also tuning into what are your values and what are your um deal breakers right you might have one thing you know on the cons list which is you know um let's say you have to move your family somewhere as an example and your top value is family and that wouldn't be good for your family that might make the you know a, a no decision win when talking about a career decision as an example i would i do uh we'll see if you want to go there but the one thing that's super hard for me that you might know more about it to wrap my mind around is decisions with athletes like a decision when you're in the sport because it's instinctual so if you make the wrong decision yeah that, that, that that's yeah. interesting and you mentioned it's it's instinct so so yes. you know when you are uh using your instinct it's it's that primal brain that is operating yeah and that you know the more old school uh, version of of sports psychology will take you to practice and practice and practice oh but, so that your instinct will be the right decision exactly exactly you know so 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 you you hear uh, coaches say you know i teach uh, my clients not to think mm -hmm. yes. and when they don't think they are focused on the present and once they have repeated the motion of the play of, of of the situation of the analysis of the game or the competition and basically it's second nature to them they they don't have they, it's just repeating the motion so that's so that that's right. the process that that's the process when when you know they they go into they call the, the zone or flow state mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know it's, it's it's precisely that and something that fascinates me is not only in sports but how you can replicate that same strategy in any area of your life absolutely. absolutely how many people how many people actually try things once or a couple of times and then quit and they say ah this is not for me and they really don't grasp the concept of you know practice makes practice. perfect yes but it's repetition it's repetition and from a neuroscience perspective it's generating the synapses in our neurons in our brains absolutely to create the new wiring uh once you understand that pattern it actually becomes pretty pretty easy to start shifting and modeling new behaviors new habits new mm -hmm. actions mm -hmm. and, and, and new things my, my question is you you are a career coach so in, in terms of you know charting the path and the map of a person's career what what are the strategies that you use do you do you create long-term visions and you work with that you do you recommend going with the flow and seeing where the journey takes you do you do a combination of both it depends what's your take on that yeah i think that one of the most important things is a that it fits the person right so um if you're if you're naturally um a long-term visionary person then sure you've got to be able to see where this is taking you 
for you to stay motivated along the way, right? So, so for me, I'm a more go with the flow, right? And um, there is actually a theory um, that's called uh, career happenstance. And it isn't really happenstance. It is really that you are opening yourself up to opportunities. And when opportunities knock, you say yes. Right? So you can't, you know, sit in your house and not talk to anybody and someone's going to knock on your door and say, oh, here's a job for you. you right so so you've got to be exposing yourself to things and then when there's an opportunity that's where the that's where you have to work on the fear okay so some people are blocked by fear and they'll say i said no to that because i didn't think i was ready for this or that or whatever and some people will say yes and you coach your clients to identify opportunities or it's something that, you know, for a person that just goes with the flow, what does an opportunity look like? What, what you know, are, are you open to opportunities? Are there strategies to identify uh, opportunities? Or is just things that, you know, almost like fall in your lap? No, absolutely. There are strategies. So I'm going to like back up two steps. As much as I um, follow a process. So I think of myself I got all these tools in my tool belt, right? Because I've been in this area for, I don't know, 28 years or something. And I love to learn. So I've got all these tools in my tool belt. But the methodology that I really follow um, is to pause and literally hands to keyboard, pen to paper, write down um, the roles that you've had so far. If you're younger, maybe there's not a lot of them. And what did you like and dislike about them related to, you know, leadership in the in the organization, your colleagues, the environment, and then what you do? And then from that, what are the themes, right? Because the sweet spot that that we want to get to is what am I good at, naturally good at, and have worked to get better at and I like to do that's where flow is in my opinion right and like you said you can have the natural ability for something and learn and and gain the skill because there's always things we don't know that we're if we're good at them because we haven't been exposed to them for whatever reason um so we do the likes and dislikes and see what themes come up from that. And that's to build a list of a recipe or a list of desires, right? So I take like, let's take the practical out. That's where I start. Let's not worry about the market or where you live or any of that stuff. Let's see if we can come up with like, you know, what would be a sweet spot in terms of what you like and then values, right? So often people leave or feel very, very unhappy or uncomfortable if there's a values misalignment with the organization or with your boss or something um, or what you're doing. And then some kind of abilities assessment. So um, sometimes they've taken like a strengths finder or I use the Highlands ability battery, which is based on natural abilities. Um, 
And then we put all of that together and go, all right, where is this? Then let's bring the practicality back in, which is I need, quote unquote, right, to make this much money. And, you know, we might unpack, do you really need to like, but maybe your value is to is to make a lot of money. That's fine. Um, just know what it is and be intentional about it. Or is it really important that um, it's very collaborative and I have lots of coworkers that um, I want to talk to, you know, at work and outside of work, whatever that recipe is. Um, and then to see if we can find it. That makes a lot of sense and it, it resonates a lot. You, you've mentioned throughout the conversation, you've talked about the sage, you've talked about the best self, you've talked about values, you've talked about desires, you've talked about needs, talent in terms of, in terms of strength. Mm -hmm. And once you start generating an introspection of you know who you are, what your preferences are, what you need in life, what you aspire to. My experience has shown me that you start creating an inner map of yourself in relation to others and the environment. And once you start generating awareness around all of that, that's where opportunities come. Exactly. And that is only possible when you have done that work of awareness, of understanding and feeling comfortable with who you are of understanding what you need in order to keep your levels of uh, fear or your levels of, you know, just basic human needs mm -hmm. in check in terms of the desires that you want, what are your aspirations. And once you do all that work, you gain a pretty good example of who you are. And yeah. this brings us to the topic of identity. How, how do you approach identity in your practice and with your clients? Is it something that you actively develop or is it just something that comes up doing all of this work? I think it comes up doing all of this work. So interestingly, um, I'm trying to remember what ability, where it comes up on the highlands, but it comes up in... Um, it comes up in values for sure in a values discussion, right? Like um, when you when you peel the onion, because often the beginning of people's values are someone else's values that they've adopted, and then you peel the onion and you go, oh wait, that might be what you know my dad wanted, right? And I find it's similar with identity right? It's like what it's the also like what I think we get to when we get quiet, right? So what's truly your essence? And what's truly your identity? And some people's identities are inextricably linked to the work they do. And for some people, it's not so linked. Right? So oh, I know what it is. So on the Highlands, one of the personal style things that gets looked at, shouldn't put it in quotes because it's really called personal style, is um, a specialist or a generalist. And so a generalist tends to want to know um, a little bit less, right? They want um, breadth over depth. And a specialist wants to be an expert and have depth over breadth. And um, from the work they've done and um, 
I haven't researched it, but I've talked to hundreds and hundreds of people about careers and these results. A specialist is also that what they do is closely aligned to who they are. So their work identity is their identity. To me, this is this is the goal, right? This is why I am a career coach. The goal is that what you do is who you are, right? So I'm probably more on the calling side than the job side, right? So if it's job, career, calling, right? Um, so I think there's nothing more um, rewarding in such a meaningful way if partly because we send, spend so much time working, right? Doing things that, you know, are productive and hopefully make money, right? <laughs> um, that if, if it's integrated into your identity, it's so easy. That's, that's the ultimate uh, goal. You know, what, what, if you want to make sure that you achieve a result, make it part of your identity to be yes, able yes. to achieve that. You know, if, if, yes. if you manage to do that, you know, and it, it, the process is simple. The action to, to, to turn your identity into that is, 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 is complex and it, it's yes. hard. It's hard work. You know, you have yes. habits and you have beliefs and you have, you know, inner work to do. But if you manage it, that's the surefire way. Talking about sports before, how do athletes, you know, um, achieve that primal action and that instinct? It's they become that person, uh, yes. and, and you know the, the actions that they have to do on on the field. It's just like an extension of who they are. Yes. In terms mm -hmm. of that, mm -hmm. tell me a bit more. What can you tell me about self-image? It's very related to identity, mm -hmm. but but you know, I'm I'm curious to see what your perspective is around self-image. Um, you believe it's important. You work with work it with your clients. It's not an aspect that you touch that much. Tell me a bit about that. From a, like how you think about yourself or literally how you appear. Basically, self-image is, you know, in this context is yeah. how you see yourself. That yeah. you, you would call yourself, you know, for example, uh, let, let me break it down to you. In Mindset Factors, uh, we have three different types of self-image. One is inner self-image, which is yeah. how you see yourself. Another self-image is your outer self-image, which is how other people see you. And it's the what's actually visible from yourself to others. And then we have another um, self-image, which is your future self-image. That, that one is more related to what you defined before as your best self. Yeah. That, that true person that you believe you are in your core, in your essence. But maybe for, for some reasons you still haven't delved into or embraced as much. It's kind of there. It's, for yeah. example, when you hear somebody, oh, I, I was, I, I always dreamed of being a singer when I was young. You know, it's, it's that idealized yeah. version, but yeah. not idealized in a way that it's uh, fantasy. Yeah. But it, it's just, you know, hidden there. Some people embrace it fully. Others run away from it. Yeah, Do, so interesting because it often comes up... Um, in a negative context, meaning it's self-doubt, right? So 
um, you can have a positive self-image or a negative self-image. So the self-doubt is often what comes up with people or now like the term that I don't care for, which is imposter syndrome, right? That's getting tossed around. Imposter syndrome is self-doubt and it's normal, right? Um, and so it comes up in a in so many ways. Um, so one thing that someone said to me, which was so sad, was um, she has to have like a mask at work. I mean, sad to me, right? Um, and that's how exhausting it is for her, right? So that has to mean that her self-image is that she can't be authentic, that she can't fit in right to the place that she's at. All of that being said, to grow as a leader and as a human, you need to pay attention to how you talk to yourself, right? Um, how other people perceive you. And what was your third one? Your future self. Your, your future your self. Best self. Yes. Your best self. Yeah. Well, that I think is one of the most powerful things in terms of becoming. Meaning, if you, you know, you've heard this expression that like you have to act today in the role or the person that you want to be in the future. Exactly. Act, right? act as if. Exactly. Act yeah. as if. Um, so that's where I think that future one comes in and, and literally visioning yourself in that role, right? Exactly. And behaving as though, you know, you already are where you want to be. In the, in the, how others perceive you, like those are our blind spots, potentially. So like if, sometimes leaders that I work with or um, they'll, or even in a one-on-one -on -one, um, career program with an individual, I might have them do like a small branding exercise where they go out and ask five people to give five words about them. And, you know, that's really useful to hear what words people have about you, right? Or in a more formal 360, that's exactly why you're doing it. The blind spots are where you think you're kind of doing better than others think you're doing, which, you know, is the most dangerous. And in some ways, the higher you go, potentially the more vulnerable you are for people not to tell you. Exactly. Exactly. It gets lonely up there. <laughs> it's lonely up there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, ideally, you know, you, you would want your inner self-image your outer self-image and your future yes. self-image to to kind of be, to be aligned and, and aligned you know that that's the theory what happens in between we we could have a whole season of podcasts just talking about that you know but in a, in a nutshell you know for, from my experience it can get tricky if people who go through that uh for example have external validation Yes. They seek approval of others. In this process, that that I've seen it, you know, uh, work with clients, you know, people who I know just by by observing. 
if if you don't have the ability to develop your own self-confidence and be able to fuel your action from within without seeking others approval or validation that's the ideal scenario because if not because if not you know trying to act as imposter syndrome another way of of delaying action or or bridging the alignment as you mentioned could be perfectionism um, procrastination and 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 i've seen i won't i won't say it's every single time the reason why people don't achieve results but if you delve deeper into these aspects usually you will find something yeah and 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 generally generally not always but you know it's usually tied be to some beliefs or experiences or situations from the past so true um i was talking to someone today uh, who was like, I've got to get out from under this boss. I met her for the first time today. And, you know, my instinct is I said, I'm going to, you know, as a good coach, I'm going to follow you wherever you want to go. So if you want to work with me on how can you make a move, fine. But I also would encourage you to think about um, what is making this so hard for you. She was, he's a micromanager. And, um, she literally was getting triggered, right? And so she didn't answer, but I said, what is it about this person micromanaging you? I only know her side, I don't know his, that triggers you so much that you are like, I've got to get out of this situation. And you you feel as though you've tried all these things and it's not getting better. I'm sure this is familiar. <laughs> not in a positive way from somewhere. And I say like, I'm not, you know, I'm not a therapist in this moment with you. I'm not practicing as a therapist, but just sit with that, right? Like um, this is the whole thing about mental fitness is we're going to get triggered, but what do we do when we get triggered, right? That you do something to bring yourself back. You pay attention to your touch or you breathe or you listen to a far off sound and a close sound. You do something to go whoop with your brain. Mm-hmm. Which which brings us back to what you talked about, mindfulness and, and, and focusing on one thing, paying attention to your body. How how important is the body in the work that you do? Do, do, you, do, you, oh, develop, do you have strategies? Yes increasingly important right so meaning it's always been important so i didn't say that right (laughs) like it's always been important but my awareness of how important it is is what's increased and and my own confidence in going there with people right so you probably know this that you know in in um depression especially and anxiety but i know about the studies in depression People can try all kinds of things, all different kinds of medication. And it, and the only thing that works is exercise. So in a very literal way, um, moving our body and getting our the brain, you know, the, the um, dopamine and the serotonin, the epinephrine, you know, getting those things going is critical and potentially life-changing, right? Um, so I talk to people about that. And I have 
behaviorally um, coached people around like, where do you feel it in your body? And so then they can say like, let's take, you know, they're trying to speak up more in meetings for visibility, right? But maybe they're an introvert. So they're a little bit more thoughtful, right? So they're yeah. in a meeting might not be as quick um, to, to open their mouths. Um, and so they might feel it in their body somewhere. So then they can go, okay, if I've got a tightness in my chest, then I know that's my sign that I need to do X. What, what's, the, what's the pattern that you, you follow? Okay, tightness in the chest. Is that an indication of something or it's just identifying? Oh, of something specific? No, it's where do you feel it? Where, you know, okay. where does each individual feel it in their body? Right. I mean, I could go to like chakras and things like that, that, you know, like if you, you know, if there is a link, a lot of people feel things in their throat, which some people would, would say would be related to getting your voice out there. But people often feel it like throat, chest, stomach. Um, but it can be, um, you know, the same issue that you, you would, you or I would feel in a different part of our bodies. So the important part is paying attention to physically where you feel it. And in terms of uh, mindset, do you follow the, the growth mindset, fixed mindset? Do you have other models that you use to work with your clients? And if, if you're introducing these concepts to a client that maybe is not this familiar in, in terms of these things and personal development, what, what's your approach to explaining these concepts in a, in a simple way to them? Yeah, I mean, I believe, you know, um, you know, a, a growth mindset is good, right? And we've, you know, seen the impact, especially in, in children and in education, but certainly it's everywhere. Um, I don't use that term that much, interestingly. That's what caused me to think about how, how do I approach that. I think one of the things is um, more around like locus of control, like literally saying what's in your control and what is outside of your control. Okay. Does that relate in your mind to what you asked me? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You know, you mentioned it before, you know, what's the worst that could happen, you know, things like that. Uh, can yes. you do something about it? So I'm assuming that's that's your line of work with, with you know, executives and, and career coaching. Yes. And, Give, and you know. even, you know, I had um, someone who um, came for grief, a grief issue. And... Um, I didn't say what's in your control, right? But I did say kind of the grief's not in your control. Like from what I know, there's there's no way, there's no going around the grief. You got to go through it. And it's super sad. Like, you know, she lost her mom and they had a week before before she was gone and she was in another country. And it's not that far, you know, past the time. So what's in your control, meaning... You can't control anyone's behavior but your own. And so I think, you know, 
my some of my clients call them jillisms. <laughs> and they'll be like, I have a jillism in my head, right? And that's one of them. Like, like with this person who was um very unhappy about the micromanager boss, I reminded her, you can't, you're not going to change that person. You're not in control of what that person does. But one thing that I know is if you change, things will change in the relationship. It may be for the better. It may not be for the better, but things will change. So all that you have is, con you know, controlling and changing yourself. I wanted to ask you also, I if you follow the news recently, especially among athletes and, you know, elite athletes, mental health is, is something that, you know, that they're more open to speak about. Yes. And the, the reason is because they've gone through mental health issues, you know, and, and, and breakdowns and, and having to take time off, things like that. And something that always strikes me is that when they ask them, what is the thing that made them uh, improve their mental health? They usually talk about acceptance and surrender. Yes. Is 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 that something that you 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 work with your with your clients? Are are you familiar with that? Yes. Uh, talk talk a bit about that. You know why why is acceptance and surrender so important in in those cases? Well, it's so interesting because. Um, Often when people are coming to me, it's for a change, right? So um, I don't know if I really use, I mean, for myself personally, I think about surrender. I don't use that word so much, to be honest, in my coaching. I do talk about letting go, right? So um, uh I'm hoping the examples are useful, but someone that I'm working with who's in a very difficult situation, um, and I didn't say, are you going to accept or surrender? I didn't use that language, but I said, you know, there's so many things going on. Is this something that's worth um, putting your attention to? Really, like, is this the, you know, you know that expression, the hill you're going to die on, on the battle you're going to fight, right? Or are you going to let this one go? So in letting go, surrender is a deeper concept to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you. The reason why I asked is because I've seen it and I've heard it so much. Um, but I also have a hard time uh, grasping it. So so I, I, I'm... Oh, yeah, I, we might know, be in there together. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can tell you something. Uh, and I, I related to this. My first mentor told me that you can't get out of a place that you haven't been into. So, so th that resonates. So I'm assuming, I'm assuming that, you know, when people talk about acceptance, it's actually fully embracing whatever they are not allowing yeah. themselves to go into so 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 yes. that that's you know then i can relate to feeling you know that emotion in the body and, and and just letting go and it's like listen i'm not gonna resist 
Because it's like, listen, if I tell you about not to think about something, immediately you're going to think about exactly. that. Because you pay if you're attention to, to what take, you pay attention to. Exactly. Mm -hmm. the, the simple fact of trying to take the focus out of something is putting 100% of the focus on that thing. So I'm assuming that the acceptance part comes from uh, embracing that emotion or that situation and feeling it in the body and not trying to resist. So I'm assuming the surrender part comes from that. But yes. but that's my own logic. I just wanted to, 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 to you know. Uh, yeah, I, I think, um, and you'll stop me if this is off topic, but one of the things that I do in my own life that I've been doing now, I guess we're our second round because we stopped for a while, eight months in, I talk to um, a friend of mine every morning besides the weekends at 7.30. And we do, what's your brag? What are you grateful for? And what do you desire? And, you know, when we're not chatting, chatting, afterwards we're you know 30 minutes yeah. maybe 20 right and it has been the most powerful thing that I've ever done and I've tried lots of morning routines and self-help things and that it just is a shift and one of the uh, things that we tell us that why we, tell us why yeah one of the things that we, this is why it's related. One of the things that we say to each other when we get to the desire, I just, I'm running a coaching group and I shared this with them and I'm thinking about starting a group to do this together, um, was when we get to the desire, we say the same thing every day to each other, basically. Um, may you have all that you desire and even more than you can possibly imagine. And may it come to you in full surrender and on the wings of your pleasure. So when you say surrender to me, I go to that. And so I think of in ease and in flow. So when you're surrendering, there's no resistance. Hmm. You've really 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 let go and and then you fully accepted exactly and, and you surrender to all the good coming into you your life you surrender to all the good it reminds me sometimes of sometimes we resist the good right it's exactly i was i was about to say that it reminds me of of the book by by gay hendricks the the big leap yes you know where we have these upper limit problems and and you know it's just so much happiness or abundance or success that we can take. And it, it's, 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 it's funny how, how the mind works or how, you know, yeah. How, how the mind works in blocking those things. So, yes. so interesting. Cause yeah. you know, so like surrendering the limits I think is huge and it's so parallel, right? Like athletes and, and leaders, right. And peak performance. Um, because I mean, you know this, I know you know this. It is amazing what a human can do physically and mentally. Amazing. That's that's been my fascination. You know, yeah. why being that a fact, so many people are stuck in, in situations or ruts or 
patterns that they can't seem to get out of. You know, yes. as much as they try, as much as they desire, why do they get stuck? And, you know, try, trying to to, to 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 support them getting unstuck and, and, and you know, elevating themselves to, to, to a new height. Well, that, that's, I believe that's your purpose too. That and is they, my purpose too. You took the words yeah. right out of my mouth. And we didn't talk about limiting beliefs, but, you know, that's part of it, right? So, you know, um, and that is a real tool in coaching and, and, and in, um, you know, therapy and clinical practices is challenging your limiting beliefs. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Uh, what, are, what are practical ways that you help your clients change those limiting beliefs? Yeah, so I mean, the traditional practice is really, or what I've been taught is to say, is that true? Is that really true? And normally, literally just asking those two questions, they'll be like, oh, yeah, it's not really true, right? It's a limiting belief, right? So just literally stopping going, oh, is that really true? And what story, I talk to a lot of people, you know, because our brains, they're just doing their thing. It's just an organ. It's spitting out the thoughts. And it is what you do with all the thoughts that get spit out, right? And some of those are serve us and some of those don't serve us. Sorry, everybody. Got to turn off the phone. Um, and so that's often enough. Even if they're not ready in the moment, they might go, oh, I have to think about it, you know. But usually they, they'll they get to, you know, is that really true? And the container that I think many people want to be in is, um, you know, that it's limitless. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Um, and that you can have more than you can even possibly imagine. <laughs> it's such a beautiful phrase. <laughs> right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And Jill, we're, we're closing the, the, the episode uh, now, but before we leave, uh, any final thoughts or any insights that we left out that you believe are important in, in this topic and discussion? What, what, what would be your closing remarks around this, this conversation? Well, it's been a, a really, really a pleasure. And um, hmm. I, I I took some notes before I got on and, and the one that we didn't get to, but we sort of got to that I had a big like doink. I'm not the first person to have the big doink, right? But um, <laughs> that it all comes down to fear. So being stopped by the fear, getting over the fear, noticing the fear, what do you do with the fear, right? And you know, in some ways, um, that's, you know, that's where like the brain and neuroscience has come so much more into my practice, 
like I said, you're just doing what the brain does. And what you talked about, like neuroplasticity has changed everything. Because now we know there's a pathway in whatever it is, whatever behavior, whatever thought, there's a pathway. But guess what? When you get to the fork, you can change the pathway. Exactly. And, um, and so that makes it limitless to me. And so it's getting to um, what's the channel that they're stuck in and what's one way that they can get a new branch off, right? Which could be so many things. Behavioral is kind of the way that I go, right? Like I'm very like, um, what can you do to shift things for yourself? And I don't mean like go out and apply for a hundred jobs. It could be reframing your thoughts or catching yourself when you're making up a story, right? It could be lots of things, um, but that's kind of the core of it. And do you actually graphically, as you just did, explain this to your clients? It's yes. like fork and the neural, what's a new pathway? That's, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Not everybody, but yeah, most of them now. Mm -hmm. I, and I am right now working with a lot of scientists and actually someone who is a um, neuroscientist. So it's, I loved, <laughs> you know, I just put it in that framework and he's there, right? That's awesome. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Jill, thank you so much for your thank time you. and your, your wonderful insights. Just to close off, where can people find you? And uh, tell us a bit, you know, in terms of, what services you offer or what are you promoting currently or what you would like the audience to learn about you? It's your time. Yeah. So um, my website is uh, thecursingroup.com. So you can find me there and set up a, a consult with me. You can find me on LinkedIn um, under my name, Jill Curson, um, or under the Curson Group. I'm not very great on Facebook, but I do have a Facebook uh, page as well. Uh, so I think those are kind of the three key ways. Would it be appropriate to give my email? I can, if you want to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll share all these links in the show notes just below the, yeah. the podcast recording. But yeah, uh, if you want to. My, I, I mean, the contact information, my emails through on my website anyway, but it's just Jay Curson, my name at thecursingroup.com. Excellent. Okay. Uh, the scope of the work that I do is pretty broad, but I, I would say that my specialty is um, the intersection of career and really growth. So working with people who are at a crossroads and it's normally a career crossroads. And my training, which we didn't really talk about, um, is some of my training is in working with um, neurodivergence, so ADHD. Um, I've worked with a number of people who are on the spectrum um, and uh, maybe, you know, think a little differently. But usually around how can you... Um, yeah, have have full joy and be in alignment with uh, what you do and who you are. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you, Jill. It's been a You're pleasure. So
time has flown by, so that's a good sign, at least for me. And uh, thanks for having you on for, for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Talk to Bye. you soon. Bye-bye. Take care.